When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nice. Yeah, so we're recording. I highly recommend this. Yeah, Zen, very... Zencaster does it all for you. If, that's yeah. nice. if of course, yeah. you can get logged on and, you know, get plugged in. So we, so JD and, and Ethan and myself have been, we're now all very well acquainted. But Ed, how are you? It's, yes. good, to, it's good to meet I'm, you. I'm doing dandy. Hi, guys. Wonderful. I'm I really Patrick. enjoyed your episode uh, the other week. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you, just, oh. did you only listen to the segment where we were talking about you guys? Or did you listen to the whole thing? No, I listened to the whole thing. Oh, because wow. oh, they you. did an episode about us. Is that right, Ed? No, it wasn't about us. I mean, they they had some some very, I thought, insightful um, observations about the dynamic of our podcast and 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 particularly your hosting <laughs> capabilities and, and oh, the idiosyncrasies of that. Welcome to The Crunch, the only podcast that brings you great conversation each week. It's your boy, Ethan. <laughs> and I'm Patrick. And today we got some great guests. Uh, wow. From the Pillar Podcast, we have J.D. Flynn and Ed, the Boston Tea Party was a false flag operation Condon. Welcome, boys. <laughs> Howdy. Wow. <laughs> I think that's cool that you got a nickname. I didn't I didn't get one. Well, we were... I, well, I, when I, I, I was oh, I, trying to figure out what, what JD stood for. And so I, I texted Ethan. I was like, Hey, I, I just got a, I just got an interview confirmation from JD or sorry, from, from JD, Jimmy Dean Flynn. It's <laughs> uh, the only, it's <laughs> the only thing I could think it's of was the good. sausage yeah. company. So JD's brand is breakfast sandwiches and Ed's brand is England, <laughs> I guess. And, just, and that's I, what we're going to stick with. I actually do have the physique of a breakfast uh, <laughs> representative. I've, I've been honing that for a very long time. That's amazing. How are you guys doing? Thanks for coming on. <laughs> I, I always wait for JD to speak I first. I know, but I was just... trying to change it up because these I guys know. apparently criticized it's me. Learned, for it's learned helplessness. Oh, no. We've created, we've, put, <laughs> we've driven a wedge. It's like WWE. Oh, wait, Ethan, oh, we have wait, so Ethan many we're doing, we're doing yeah. the same thing. We're doing the same thing we always do with interviews, which is we know the guests. And oh, we're just like, yes. Oh, we're I, just, I guess I just assume... And I'm sorry, yeah. you guys. So the pillar is this uh, media outlet that's kind of incredible. It's run by JD and Ed, who are here on the show with us. They have a Substack, which you can subscribe to uh, for money, but you can also subscribe to it for free. Mm -hmm. uh, they basically are running the greatest uh, Catholic journalism outpost in the Western world right now. So yeah, that's so nice. Thank and you. And the that's fact really... that they're that they're on our show is pretty incredible. So uh, if you don't know them, follow them on Twitter. Subscribe to their Substack. PillarCatholic.com. That's really PillarCatholic.com. Yep. That's but this is not a promotional interview. No, no, it's not, no, a, it's not a promotional. We don't no. talk about it anymore. It's not a promotional interview at all. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have to talk about PillarCatholic.com anymore at all. I don't want you guys to feel like we're here to promote <laughs> PillarCatholic.com or the Pillar Podcast. Right. We definitely don't want to mention Ed's child that needs to be fed or any of those other things. No, none, none, none of those no, things. No. Yeah. No. Amazing. Yeah. But the question still stands. How how do you come to this episode? How are uh, we feeling? I, I'm I'm having a great day. Some of my favorite things in the world are happening today, yeah. which mostly involve you know trial proceedings in the Vatican. Sure. So I'm, you know, I'm having one of my usual favorite nerdy Wednesdays. I, so I appreciate I'm, you taking time out of your schedule to talk to us on a day that's been highly anticipated for what upwards of fifteen years. How long have you been doing this? Uh not quite that okay. long. I've been really I've been looking forward to this trial for uh, five years. Five now. years. Okay. Yeah. Five years now. So we, yeah, we, yeah. And you did a good job. So this was a big Vatican trial day and Ed and I actually just before how this trial, how this podcast finds us is in a, is in a, <laughs> I wouldn't say tiff, but would you say creative disagreement? Oh no. I, you guys, I know have listened to a couple of episodes of our podcast and it's <laughs> fair to say that that is a, that is an accurate, like the dynamic of that podcast is just an accurate capture of an hour's worth of our working week. That's how it is. And so in many ways, JD and I live in a, in a very happy, very fraternal, dysfunctional marriage. Oh yeah. Um, my, my wife comes from a house of all sisters. And, um, so she was listening to the podcast. It was like the beginning was, of a bard's tale. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was, I had an episode of the podcast on and you. she goes, she goes, 
did um so like how did they come to work together and i was like well they they like do they know each other and they just started this thing she's like were they like forced into it <laughs> she was like i was like no 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 they're they're friends like they they're they're fighting like brothers you don't understand like they, but we're yeah. friends by i mean like it, I, and I think this is fair to say. I don't know if you would fair to say, but like neither of us is especially social. So we're mm. friends, but uh, we're not. In part, we haven't tried hard to make other friends. Is that fair, Ed? That's absolutely <laughs> fair. Yeah. I, I mean, we actually we've both I think at different times when people have said, "Well, you guys are like best friends as well." I was like, "Yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't go that far." But we're I mean, the truth is, how we always say it is, we're not actually. I don't consider JD a friend so much as consider our relationship to be fraternal. That it really is. You know, kind of that almost, um, I don't want to say unhealthily close, but mm. I mean, he definitely is the person I talk to most, most days, including my wife. And, you know, <laughs> at, at, you know, we've had, I've, I've, I'm always getting, my wife is always getting angry at me and saying, can we, can we finish having this conversation before you start texting JD about the conversation we're having? You know, would that, <laughs> oh, would that be all right? Could I maybe have five minutes of your attention? So I, we, I, I yeah, we're friends. We're colleagues were you know brothers you know, we are we're, co- we're 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 co-laborers in the vineyard of the lord and wow. we have, there you go. We have a common cool. mission and yeah. uh and that common mission has forged for us the bonds of fraternity yeah um and even yeah. as you're explaining this i'm still just like unsure of like how much you like each other <laughs> you know yeah, so are we. So we're, i mean like i'm pretty sure we're good friends okay yeah that's good i just don't want to say it you know what i mean sure. it's just weird now certainly yeah it's weird. neither one of us ever want the other one to get too comfortable it's part of yes, what makes us productive that's exactly right that's right. exactly right because both of us are motivated by in part by like um a sense a, not so much a healthy sense of a healthy competition with one another but a sen- but both of us are motivated by the doubts of another that we can pull anything off you know what i mean so yeah. <laughs> half the time when i'm reporting something i'm like i'm going to show that ed that i can do <laughs> so that's the whole thing is the pillars just to see who who can pull off more more crazy stuff that the other person doesn't think that they can do and it's just people say iron sharpens iron, but nobody talks about how it's really iron whacking another stick of iron, and that's how <laughs> that's how the sharpening actually happens. Is just violence. Yeah, and then a, out of and then out of nowhere, some random contributors' interview all of a sudden becomes the talk of the town. And you're oh just like, hold gosh. on, whoa, whoa, whoa! I was. Yeah. Oh my Wait, gosh. is that or is that an? I don't know what you're referencing. I'm not on Twitter. Oh, so um, they I mean, they made they they released an interview with uh, a CUA president, which I was like, I was like, oh cool, like an interview with the new president of a college, and then all of a sudden the nuclear alarm went off, and like everyone was really upset that the pillar released an interview. Well, not with, uh, everyone. Just, no, just people who don't like us. Oh, I can't imagine. Which is most people. Actually, yeah. only lefties yeah, who don't like us. So lefties don't like us, and also righties don't like us. Um, but this, in this particular case, it was lefties who don't like us who were mad at us. Is that right? So they were, they don't like us. And so the, they thought, oh, the fact that the president of COA did an interview with a pillar, like shows that he's like bad and, and, um, hmm. ultra conservative trad, but which is weird because like, I don't, that's, I don't go to that. I'm not, I don't roll that way, so to speak, but, um, they have in a certain way, I think took us to chemically to be um, like a, 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 an indicator of a set of positions which they oppose, which mm-hmm. we would consider to be like fundamentally like basic doctrinal propositions of the Catholic Church. But for them, that was <laughs> offensive. Interesting. Is that fair, Ed? Yeah. I mean, people people find our, our work offensive, um, whether it's the fact that we're doing it at all or um, – you know, the, the everyone. I, I think this is the thing with this is this is the thing with all media, and I, Catholic media is not immune. Is that everybody um, is expecting there to be an editorial bias? Like they just, and so I think a lot of the reason why we have people who are sort of you know of, of the to, to use a phrase the rad trad camp, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. also people on the on the sort of far prog left side of the church, both kind of don't like us is because they can't quite figure out what our agenda is. Sure. We, we don't have one. We just really like good governance. Is well, that- <laughs> we really do like good governance. But let me say another thing about that is that another reason why I think a lot of Catholic media don't like us is that um, Catholic media is a very – and I didn't know this. Like I worked in the church for a long time before I knew anything about Catholic media. But Catholic media is a very kind of like um, clubby atmosphere mm-hmm. and, every, mm-hmm. and everybody is very team – oriented good guys and bad guys depending on their theological perspective and we don't actually hang out with anybody in catholic media because we don't see that it's productive for actually getting catholic Mm -hmm. news to hang out with other reporters like they're nominally our competition although we don't really feel that 
Um, so, but we don't hang out in the universe of Catholic media. We're like not in the Catholic media Slack or the group text. We don't even There's go to the Slack? convention. Probably, but we're that not on awful. it. <laughs> we don't. We don't go to. We don't even go to the convention because, well, frankly, it costs money and stuff, and we don't do that. Um, hmm. But I think because we don't play like. We don't know who's the president of the Catholic Media Association. They like kind of are pissed at us. I think that we're interloping in their universe. That's so interesting because uh, I feel turf. like we've experienced that to a lesser degree. Obviously, we're we're younger and and haven't been uh, so to speak in the world of the church as long as you guys have. Yeah, our main thing is a podcast. Where I realize what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to do a thing and then make a podcast about it. That's what everyone else does. But we did we did it backwards. We did it backwards. <laughs> it's like we started a podcast and then tried to like frantically backfill with content so that there would be something else. But it just doesn't work that way. But like, and you guys started a podcast because you wanted to talk about Catholic dating. Is that right? Or like Catholic dating. Too? This is JD did his research before he came on here. We started a podcast. I think I wanted. I started a podcast because I wanted to be famous. I think <laughs> that's that's why I wanted to do it, and I wanted to make jokes with my friend Patrick, who I met on Twitter back in 2015. And uh, it's the first episode happened to be dating, but then it just kind of evolved into uh, a friendship. Not not cool. probably not as similar as your guys's uh, fraternal thing, but we've gone through some some tiffs and tats, you know, throughout our days. Um, but. But yeah, I, that um, Ethan, Ethan, uh, you mentioned a question that you had. We we rarely prepare, but we wanted to. We wanted to. Um, e Certainly, e Ethan. I forgot what the question was. He texted me, asked the question, and oh, I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember what it was, but I oh, I have a, wow. I have questions that I can ask. So okay. this is the interesting thing because we're talking about Catholic media being very clubby, and I feel like you guys have the inside track on a lot of this stuff. And I feel similarly about a lot of institutional things about the church. And I just want to understand if I'm like crazy. Or, and if there's like something else that I can be doing, because so I was a focused missionary, I kind of, I've worked with, you know, Newman centers and understood kind of how decisions, decisions are made by pastors and, and seen a little glimpse into a window of the diocesan level. Cause a lot of my friends work at dioceses yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and, um, I'm just like, so that plus the Catholic media thing, it just feels like there's all this built up bureaucracy that's just like so unhealthy and in between Christians and actually proclaiming the gospel. And I feel like, like right now in this podcast, I'm not going to name any names of any specific dioceses because that's just like not kosher, right? It's just not cool to just call people out. And so I'm just wondering, like from your guys' perspective, how, obviously we can see that there's a problem and you guys have addressed some of it in your shows and in your work, but like what... What are we supposed to do as the, cause I have a friend who works in a diocese who is in like the accounting department, right? And he is absolutely in love with the Lord and in love with the gospel, but just has this oppressive weight put on him every single day because he just has to go put his head down, get his work done and then go home. And if you start bringing up anything about evangelization, you bring up anything about the gospel, it gets immediately shot down by, by the directors, you know, and it's much more about you know, showing up on time and, and clocking in and clocking out. Um, and I would imagine it's probably something a little bit similar in the media world as well, but I don't know nearly as much about that. So I'm just wondering like, what should young Catholics as we're kind of coming up and, and finding ourselves in these places, like how do we respond to that? Like un-Christian bureaucracy that is just like taking hold of all of these, you know, institutions. Well, I, I think part of it is understanding why it's there in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody in the church woke up and said, life would be better if we had some more offices. Like, what, what we need in the church in the United States is more cubicles. That, that's what we're looking for. You know, nobody nobody had that thought or had that conversation that the reality is that where the church has a, a big institutional footprint, it needs a bureaucracy to support that. And that has been the history of the church in the United States. That, you know, dioceses were fueled by waves of immigration. There were, you know, huge networks of Catholic schools that, you know, fed into big Catholic universities and spawned all sorts of apostolates like hospitals mm -hmm. and orphanages and, and things like that. And to understand that the bureaucracy is is the, if you like, as the tide comes in on a big institutional wave for the church, the bureaucracy is the last thing that comes in to support that. Mm -hmm. But then as the tide starts to go out, the bureaucracy is the last thing that's left behind when everything else is sort of, you know, uh, being left high and dry. So I, I think it's important to understand that, you know, this is, it's not like any of that's there with malintent. Mm -hmm. um, and I always, my my take on all of it is, 
well, if we feel like the church's balance institution is tipping towards bureaucracy, it's to understand that because it's because the tide has gone out on on the sort of evangelical fervor that mm-hmm. started all those apostles, which brought about the bureaucracy in the first place. And any Catholic can can do something about that. You know, you um, you know, Mother Seton wasn't wandering around asking people's permission. Can she do right. this or that? She sure. was just opening stuff up and doing it. And right. this is something that I say to you know everybody. And it's something I have to say to myself quite frequently and, and try to live by, which is you don't need anyone's permission to evangelize. Mm-hmm. You know that is the that is the mandate of everyone's baptism is to mm-hmm. is to go out and make disciples of all the nations. You don't need you don't need your parish priest's permission. You don't need your bishop's oh. permission. You don't need anyone's permission to talk to someone about your faith, mm-hmm. to tell someone the good news about the death and resurrection of Christ. Absolutely. You know, but I, and- I think the the struggle that I'm seeing is that like that that is a, a reality, right? And and there are people who are going into these places, parishes and dioceses and all these things, who are believing that and who are saying that. And then they're being told by the institutions themselves, like, well, we there's no way that we could possibly implement that attitude. Like we we have we have too many responsibilities to be able to like respond to the spirit essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, and yes, like people can do that outside of their job, but when they work for the church and they're being told that we don't have time to respond to the spirit, then it's like at a certain point, you know, um, do we, we just risk all these people who do believe in the gospel and do believe in evangelization, just like not working for the church. And then the problem just continuing to perpetuate itself. You know, I, I I think that working for the church, and I, I having spent a lot of time working for the church, I have thought about this. I, I think that working for the church is a special, for lay people, is a special kind of, um, requires a special kind of disposition. And mm-hmm. um, probably, you know, in the post-conciliar period when um, sort of uh, a lot of lay people began to be hired to work in chanceries and Catholic parishes and Catholic schools for a lot of jobs, and, um, you know, there was suddenly this ballooning sort of... Uh, 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 infrastructure to the church in the United States, which hadn't existed in the same way before that, or which was mostly clerical before that and religious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that we had thought much or the church had thought much about like the spiritual, the spirituality of lay ecclesial ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't like the term lay ecclesial ministry because it sounds so corporate, but I don't know another <laughs> phrase to say for that, but I don't, I don't think yeah. the church had thought much about the spirituality of sort of lay professional mm-hmm. ministry. The fact of the matter is it's, it is a, there is a kind of, um, uh, there is a kind of a spiritual, um, a, a kind of uh, dispositional uncertainty that comes from working in the institution of the church that can be very difficult spiritually. You don't know where you stand. You're, you can have very odd relationships with your boss. You kind of expect things to be a certain way, and they aren't. Um, I, I have found that um, working in the within the infrastructure of the church does require a different kind of perspective than a sort of entrepreneurial approach to ministry or evangelization, which you might find in apostolate like focus or something like that, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. the accountant at the chancery, you know, ha- does have to get, is a part of a big ship that does have certain responsibilities and those kinds of things. And sure. I'm not I, like, I guess the only thing I would say, and I, I don't want to say this as a sort of apologia for the status quo, because I don't think that that's, I, I don't, I think there are problems with the status quo, but I do know that the people I have found who have been the most successful in, in, um, transformative um, evangelical missional identity in the in the institutional life of the church are those who have spent far more time than I ever did praying for the virtue of obedience. Mm. Like to start with, okay, I am, I do share, I am cooperating in the mission of the bishop and the mission of the bishop is different than me. And there's a very real way in which my, like uh, the Second Vatican Council says that I, as a lay person, am, am supposed to sort of animate the temporal order with the spirit of Christ and be a sort of agent of evangelization. And I want to do that right here. But actually, I, I'm sharing in the mission of the bishop here. And the mission of the bishop is more than mine, constancy, stability, governance, these things which are which are, which are are different, you know, for even from my own sort of vocational identity. Mm. And so yeah. I do think there's a way in which I have to pray for the virtue of obedience, for the virtue of docility to that. Now that can become problematic when it, when it becomes stifling. Um, um, but it can also become problematic if I think that being in the chancery or being in the parish, I, and this was my own problem far too often, which I worked in a chancery for like, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Being in a chancery um, is like, well, I'm here and I, ha- and I can use this to do the things that I think need to be done. 
instead of I'm here because the bishop needs me to cooperate in his mission, which is different from mine. Hmm. Now, the best thing, I honestly believe that the best thing that a bishop can do for the evangelization of his diocese is to help people discern how the Holy Spirit is moving in their lives and then to help kind of cut out a lot of the ecclesial red tape so that they can engage in apostolic work. Sure. I mm. think it's, I think usually when the chancery tries to control too many things, they don't get as far as when they're, when a place is just like flourishing with various kinds of apostolic initiatives that are, that are lay led or religious led or clerically led or something like that, but aren't sort of the chancery's project. So Ed's right, sort of waiting for permission for mm-hmm. apostolic mission is not consonant with, um, with the Christian vocation. But I think working in the chancery, or even in the apparatus of the parish to a certain extent, is sharing in the sharing in the mission of a person who has a job uh, that is not the same as the lay vocation of evangelization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I do feel that kind of dissonance, and I think I've only felt it. I do work for a parish um, now, and I have I have for the past like three or four years, and I do feel that kind of that. I got into this because I wanted to like go out and evangelize. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of like not exactly what we're doing here. We're kind of like, you know, trying to keep people Catholic. And it's um, mm. it's just desperately. And yeah. I, I'm like, I, I'm the more and more now I'm seeing myself as like I'm cooperating in the mission of our pastor. And so I'm kind of like I'm kind of like holding this clerical this clerical role. I'm like, ah. I'm starting to see like, oh, this isn't where I want to be forever. I wish someone had told me that. People at Franciscan told me that there was a difference between an, a lay apostolate and a parish, <laughs> but no one told me what it was. Yeah, right. Um, right. And I think that it's that it, a lay apostolate is very like, you know, con- it's it's consistent with my vocation as a layman. Whereas, yeah, we do what we want. Yeah. I think this is interesting because uh, an episode that we did probably a couple of months ago um I don't know how it would sit well with you, but our our conclusion upon speaking about this was just that the church needs to be more willing to to be hit with some lawsuits. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of like pro- protective activity that goes on in the church where it's like, we're going to throw up as many safeguards as we can legally to avoid any kind of ramifications. And that seems to be in some cases, like the driving engine behind what the chancery is doing or what a diocese is doing is let's let's make this as financially safe as possible um you know and we kind of came to the the agreement that like patrick would you agree with this that basically the church needs to be ready to to take some licks you know as we enter into the new age i'm wondering how that sits with two men of the men of the law as it were that Mm -hmm. that idea well i mean i guess it all depends on what you what you're not hoping but what you're expecting to get sued for sure (laughs) Oh my! I think our I think our conversation about this came from an article of yours um, about the uh, about the um, the McWilliams case mm, the right. the way oh, that yeah. that was handled the mother of the abused children mm-hmm. how the, yeah, the diocese that. handled that yeah. mm-hmm. and how there was a real opportunity there for um, there's a real opportunity for the bishop to kind of be a pastor and to you know talk with this person and instead it seemed. From what I recall, it seemed like the, she was met instead with more like, you know, let's make CYA. sure you don't, yeah, you don't yeah. talk to, you know, this person or that person. Please yeah, don't. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I think because we are men of the law, as it were, Ed and I are both canon lawyers. And I think because we are men of the law, we recognize that um, pursuing justice through legal means um, can be an avenue not only of achieving sort of the short-term justice of getting sort of recompense or remuneration for some injustice perpetrated against you, but also can be a mechanism for reform of the institution. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't think that that is, um, I, I don't think that, that, you know, pursuing sort of justice as a legal remedy is a, is a bad thing sure. in and of itself. I, I don't want to say what I think that lady should have done in, in that situation because I don't think that's fair to her. Right. And Lord knows I can't imagine being in that situation. But I, I do think that at, at the same time, I mean, um, um, the patrimony of the church, the good, the, the parish in which you work, um, the altar upon which the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is celebrated and the building around it, uh, those are things which were built for a spiritual purpose and built for the highest human good, which is the worship of God. And I think the church at, at the same time does and ought have some responsibility to safeguard those things, to just sort of wantonly say, mm. well, let's just do whatever. And if someone um, takes these things which have been built by sort of generations of immigrants saving their pennies for the, mm. for the glory and worship of God, that's, that's not just either to them. Um, 
there's a balance, I think. Yeah, the church needs to be pastoral, um, far more pastoral than she is often, and far less concerned with kind of what what the lawyers are telling the church not to do, um, or the you know the hierarchical constitution of the church not to do when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel or the kind of accompaniment which is pastoral care. Mm. But there, but there is a prudence about the way in which I think there needs to be a prudence about the way in which the, um, the church is structured, the way in which the church is organized corporately, and the way in which the church enforces her own laws so that she's not sort of wantonly putting at risk the patrimony which represents people's mm-hmm. sort of sacrifices for the, for the salvation of soul. Mm. Sure, I guess there's one, there's one dimension where it's like, you know, be, be open to take the lit, but I guess you're right. It's not, it's not just the, um, it's not just the powerful that are at risk here. It's not the ones That's who can, true. who will be fine in the end. It's right. the the sacrifice of the people that maybe don't have a way to get recompense for what was lost in the attack. Well, it's if, like you're going to have a unjust. baby soon, Patrick, and that will Indeed. change your thought about. Well, your wife's going to have the baby soon. That would be weird if you did, but I'll be right be there. The father yeah. of the baby, watching. and that will change your thought about um, the the justice, so to speak, of your own of of the possibility of your own martyrdom. Right, like. Like before your wife is pregnant, it's like, well, if I'm a martyr, blessed be God. Now it's like, well, if I'm a martyr, blessed be God, but also God has given me these divine responsibilities for these, you mm-hmm. know, and so there's, there becomes sort of other elements of, of prudence and the, the vocation of the bishop is to be a prudent father, um, a good and generous and, and, and pastoral father, but also a prudent father who, who protects his children. Now, I'm not saying that the, that the, I'm, the bishop should always and absolutely be unafraid to engage pastorally with people who need pastoral care in the presence of Christ. And we need to be careful not to sort of like wantonly leave ourselves exposed because of um, bad sort of corporate organization or bad sort of corporate management to um, putting at risk the patrimony of the church. Ed, you look well, like I mean, you the church's own <clears throat> sort of legal mind, we, we have a principle for this that, you know, canon law says that the salvation of souls is the supreme law of the church. Now, that's a guiding principle. It's not a get out of jail free card for things you want to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we're talking about situations like some of these examples, that you know, to say, well, what does it mean to say the salvation of souls? Uh, and, you know, what what is the supreme claim of the salvation of souls in some cases? It's like, well, it would seem to be, in some cases, answering answering um, the problem of scandal in, in a parish or in a diocese or whatever it is with extreme pastoral proximity. That would seem to be, you know, what, what the salvation of souls demands. But also in that sort of hierarchy of of goods and priorities is the the salvation of souls also requires the church to continue having an effective ministry throughout the diocese. And that requires, at least to some extent, a parish footprint. It requires clergy. It requires the resources to make sure that the that the sacraments, which are the, you know, the mechanism of salvation are available. You know, all of this is these, I, I like to say that, you know, it's, it's one thing to think about these as sort of competing priorities, but I think it's better to think of them. They're not, they're not competing priorities. They're just priorities that for every um, situation, you just have to understand how that deck stacks in terms of order of priority. Yeah. And if you have a clear, if you have clear in your mind and a sort of honest um, engagement with the concept of the salvation of souls, I think that makes, um, doesn't make for easy decisions, but it can often make for um, clearer decisions. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good. Um, just the, the the lens with which to view all of these situations. Because let's, I mean, for people of my hour, Patrick and I's uh, era, like, I just want to speak broadly. Is the word you're searching for generation? Generation? Well, I just didn't want to imply <laughs> that they were like, you know, elderly. <laughs> I honestly, <laughs> until you said that, I thought that, we were the same age as you guys. Really? Not that we're old. I just no. assumed we were young. It has been one of the really interesting dynamics of the last five years of my life. Yeah. Where five years ago, everyone I met would say, you're so much younger than I expected. Yeah. And now everyone's <laughs> like, you're really getting old. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. When did that? I hope, I hope that five years was fun. How so old? people of your generation, what are you, p- you damn Zoomers and your I, how internet? Old, how old are you guys, just for a reference? <laughs> Approaching or not far past forty, I think is okay. That's fair. I'm thirty. I'm just. I didn't have no shame of it. I'm thirty nine. Okay. Years old. You're both staring down the barrel of fifty. So, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> my back actually, my back gave out while we were talking. <laughs> my hip. No, you no. Know, this is not entirely unjust. I, my sister in law's in town, and one of the things I do with family when they come to DC for the first time is 
find a, a night, usually a Saturday night or a Sunday night when the parking is free and drive them around downtown DC after dark, mm-hmm. like after hours, like, you know, yeah. sort of 1030, 11, something oh, like that when there's nobody around and you usually get the monuments to yourself oh. more or less. I mean, the Lincoln Memorial is never completely empty, but you can do the Capitol building, the Supreme court, you know, the reflecting pool, stuff like that, and pretty much have a place to yourself. So I was doing that and I walked for maybe an hour and 15 minutes Holy aggregate, God. like interspersed with <laughs> driving in the car from. Sure. Yeah. You had adequate rest House. time. Yeah. 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 Adequate. And I woke up the next morning. I was like, I am stiff as a, what did I do yesterday? I was like, I literally did a gentle walk Walked on around. paved roads. Yeah. Wow. I, I I've done that walk before. I like, yeah, that my uncle used to take us when he lives in DC and he used to take us. I, I never, I never understood why we went at night, but that does make sense. There's no traffic. Yeah. What were you saying, JD? Oh, Sorry. just that I walked yesterday from my kid's school to the soccer field, and like about halfway through, I was like, "Why didn't I freaking drive? This is bullshit. Why don't I <laughs> like? I wonder if I can get a snack on the way. It was terrible." <laughs> to be fair, I did purchase some raised bed gardening soil from Lowe's. TM sponsor of this podcast, Lowe's. I wish I would love it if Lowe's sponsored this show. You guys can do better than Lowe's. I well. Home Depot or nothing. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, and I picked up and I used. I did not lift with my legs, as they say. I lifted with my back, and I did. I did, in fact, feel that the next day. So, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. twenty five is not as as sweet as it sounds, oh, gentlemen. Um, yeah, it is. You have no idea. <laughs> I really no, don't. I know nothing. I'm Honestly, enjoying. Like, it I well. can't. Even, I can't drive at night. I can't. I can hardly hear you guys. These damn machines. <laughs> You saw Ed. Couldn't I don't understand the music anymore. I, I, just... I don't even know what the music is. It's just it's yeah. No, that is that is a real thing. You do lose touch with the music. Yeah. There, there's like some line around between 29 and 32 where it's just like I, I don't know. Is Justin Bieber still a thing? I, I have no idea. It's okay that Probably. you don't know. You, you probably are speaking. Patrick has to be in touch because he's a youth minister. But you're speaking to one of the least in touch people on the planet. Just because if I didn't, I would be like addicted to, to everything. So. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of The Crunch. Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a stimulating intellectual conversation, but I wanted to pause the episode real quick to let you hear from some of our sponsors. We will be back right after this. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When I when I moved to Washington, I I had zero cultural references because I'd been living overseas for. Ed's from England. Yes. Yeah, overseas for a number of years. In fact, more than a decade and a half. And I had zero cultural references. Like I have to, you know, I have to be able to at least understand who people are and what's going yeah. on in some kind of pop culture. And so I asked someone I knew. I said, "Can you, you know, how can I get up to speed? Like, I just need to like be able to have a conversation with people in the coffee room and not sure." everything so listen to this podcast it's you know it does like you know pop culture and film reviews and stuff i was like okay that's great and i started listening to it i i found i was still not performing well in the social interactions because <laughs> the podcast that i recommended I was listening to was three guys in their 40s talking about stuff I was like, oh, yeah. this is a great show like, yeah this not made me more relevant at all like, <laughs> the other way entirely they're, they're talking about like the too? eagles you know it's like oh, what? They, yeah they're good <laughs> um do you find this happens too ed that you like um you you see like some athlete's name in a headline and you think like oh yeah that guy's a rookie but it's hit that he's retiring he's retiring you know, <laughs> to me a lot it's like pretty sure that guy just just got out of college nope he just he's started in the hall of fame yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah this this guy that was a big movie star is like in the news for like hitting some guy he's like having his you know late life breakdown and I'm just 
missing him punching aliens, you know? Well, I, I you know, credit to Will Smith for being in what I assume is his early seventies at this point. It'd be a little <laughs> throw a half-hearted slapping up his back out. I, you know I, we were talking about something and then we started talking about how old these guys are and then we got all distracted. Because your generation, you're my like, generation. generation. Okay, so this is, this is important, right? My generation, we talked about this when it happened. My generation was not like shocked by the McCarrick scandal. Like we were, mm-hmm. there was no like alarm or disturbance to anybody because- yes. We were raised in a in an age of the church where that was just kind of expected that institutions are going to have scandals. It was a punchline when I was in middle school. Yes. Just like yeah. You weren't in middle school in twenty eighteen, Patrick. No, like priests. Okay. Oh. Maybe not a cardinal, okay, but like I, I mean yeah. kid, kids didn't know the difference between a priest but, and a cardinal. But, they were yeah. But like I always I just found that people who were uh, millennials or Gen X were just had like if you listen to Catching Foxes during that time, right? Like they were just destroyed. And I was like, you guys really didn't expect this, you know, like we come from a place that's just much more jaded. And so what you were saying, JD, about how like the bishop and those who are in power needs to like protect, you know, everything that's entrusted to them. Like, that's not a point that I really like, I guess, considered when we were talking about just like bring on the lawsuits, close the churches, you know, like, let's just, (laughs) let's just tear it all down. Because from our point of view, like these institutions are just kind of like, they're, they're laced with with a yeah. certain level of corruption and a certain level of like American nonsense that just kind of needs to all be mm-hmm. wiped out. And, but your point is actually very good. And something that I need to learn and understand is that like, just because my experience is one of being pretty cynical towards the church kind of my whole life, except for the things that have been like really good for me, you know, which is just inherently selfish. And I understand that, but like things like Steubenville conferences and the focus and the, all these things, um, it's easier for me to just wantonly say, just take, just tear it all down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's not, you know, and it's not for people of your, for young people today, it's not just, um, uh, so to speak, it's, it's not just, no one laughed when I said that. I was like, oh, oh I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> they really think for I'm young just saying people that. Today. Yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. It's not just, Uncle um, James is going to explain <laughs> some things about the youth. It's, it's not just, uh, he tried hard not to say kids these days. Yeah. Right. It's, <laughs> it's not just the church. It, I mean, you guys are, People of your people of your age are institutionally disaffiliating from any from from basically all sort of longstanding stable American institutions and from any sort of affiliation with them more rapidly than has ever you know happened mm-hmm. and uh, and so it's not just the church but I mean you know I mean Ed, it would be weird for us to think about but like these guys were like in probably college or stuff when like Weinstein and all these things which you know for us came much later and I, I can imagine that would be that's not. Weinstein was like eighteen months ago. Right? Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> like, what it was, but it wasn't actually. What um, was the year of and, me too? Uh, that was 2019? twenty nineteen. Twenty. I don't remember when that was. It was like a whole. No, it was last year. year. McCarrick was twenty eighteen. No, McCarrick was twenty eighteen. No one was. No, no one. Twenty nineteen no was, was last year. <laughs> no one was sexually assaulting people in twenty twenty one. No one was around. Learned, no, no, learned, no one. No one. No one could get near each other. Maybe on. Maybe on the. We like to Maybe on the metaverse they were sexually assaulting each other. Carry on. No, what we did was we just locked everyone down. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. We we kept them in place, and then we had no scandals. Actually, this is the chastity belt approach to the coronavirus. Exactly. Exactly. So that institutional disaffiliation, I think, is very interesting because it's for Catholics, like the catching—I don't know exactly what catching foxes is—but the, the 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 point that you make about like they were floored, I think, yeah, like I was really floored when the stuff happened at when stuff emerged about Steubenville because that was such like an anchor mm-hmm. for me and my. Sure. So I was, yeah. you know, I was really yeah. floored, kind of about that. Like this is a place that you know, um, but uh, but I think it's been hard for people who are who didn't sort of aren't accustomed to that cynicism. To appropriate the, the a healthy kind of skepticism, yeah. and people who are older than us who are accustomed to even accepting if someone's sort of ideologically aligned with you or on your tribe, you're 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 tolerant of things. So people who are older than us are like, well, why would you say something bad about him? He's orthodox, you know. And um, and people of your generation are like, well, he's probably not orthodox. He's probably like, you know, perverted and a liar because that's what we think of everyone. <laughs> right. And uh, and it's hard, I think, for for all of us to navigate past our own. Yeah. biases in, in that mm-hmm. regard, Whatever, whichever direction they come from, you know what I mean? To just want to know what's true and, but also to be able to trust in some way about n- not just about human goodness, but about the promises of the church and the fact that like grace is real and actually sanctifies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think we all have certain things to overcome when we encounter stuff like that. Yeah. I, that, that, that brings up a, that brings up something that I wanted to ask. Cause like, I, I see you guys as very, as 
fair and balanced would be a good um, tagline for your news Trademark. organization. You should you should see if that one is taken. Um, <laughs> it, I, I think I think that the the way that you guys approach and this is drifting into promotional interview, which I won't do. No, um, it's okay. I think I think we're allowed to enjoy the work of the pillar and ask him specific things about the pillar without it. You mean the word the way we approach our work at uh, pillarcatholic.com? dot com? Yes. Yeah, Slash the way you approach your work at pillarcatholic.com, dot com, uh, Ed and JD production. Um, you guys can. <laughs> uh, how how do you how do you kind of discern um, when it's right? Because like. You you don't you don't pick people based on tribe. That's what I've that's what I've seen. It's like you criticize the USCCB, but you also like go to the conference and you're like buddies. You know, like you how how do you how do you um how do you decide when to say like all right, we're doing an expose on this guy? Well, and I, how not? There's not I, at least ordinarily speaking, it's not like we have a, a menu of you know a, a, tele, a Facebook of people that we can you know, say well who do we want to burn it's not like that it's a dark board with different bishops you know pinned to it and different strings and all the you do have that right sure but that's not related to like you know <laughs> and stuff that's just, just that's just un- yeah yeah that's just personal um but I you know every you know part of so I, I'd say there's sort of two things that we're always doing simultaneously one is looking into specific things that we have specific um, questions about. You know, whether we've seen something in the news that, I mean, so this is a perfect um, example is in 2017, how I ended up getting obsessed with Vatican finances in a way that's turned into the Vatican financial scandal and the London property thing and the trial that's going on now is in 2017, there was a little press release that came out that said that the Vatican Secretary of State had canceled an audit that PwC were going to do of the curial departments. And I went, well, it doesn't make any sense because a different department had ordered that audit and the Secretary of State doesn't have the authority to cancel something from there. And so I just started picking at it. And and that for me was how the whole thing started, you know, becoming of interest and started unraveling. And it's led us, at least it's led my side of the interest into where we are today. Mm-hmm. And so we're always doing that with other things that we'll see something um, happen in the life of the church that we'll just say, well, that doesn't quite make sense. That doesn't add up. And then we'll just start sort of pulling at it and seeing what comes out of it. And then on the other hand, we've always got people coming to us and saying, you know, I heard this, this doesn't make sense. What do you think of this? Uh, Someone said this to me, this made me uncomfortable. This thing happened, you know, whatever. And we're looking at that stuff sort of across the board and seeing what, you know, what, what might come of any one of those things. Um, But in terms of what we decide to bring to publication, you know, we, we have, a. I think, I like to think we have a very healthy and normal public interest test that it's not a question ever uh, for us of like scandal for scandal's sake, but mm-hmm. you know, is there, is there a legitimate injury to public justice here mm-hmm. that needs to be answered? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do have that concept in the church, the, the concept of the common good, the concept of the, the rights of the Christian faithful um, are real things. And the obligations of the church's pastors and the church's governance, those who have governance of the church to provide and not offend against that common good, be it, temporal or spiritual or moral is real. It's written in law. You know, it's actually a law Pope Francis wrote, and I wish he would use more often. But that, you know, there there is this real legal obligation. And, you know, if if we see something that falls foul and falls, you know, under underneath that standard, then I think there is a legitimate claim to the public interest to highlight it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are there, you know, I've had, and I know JD probably has too, <clears throat> had people come to us over the years and say, well, you know, Father So and So, I know he's you know he's done something you know terrible out uh, you know he's he takes his collar off on a Friday night and goes down to this bar and is meeting these people and he's doing this stuff you know you should write something about it. It's like well, that may be a problem and that may be a, a moral failing on this individual's part mm-hmm. and that probably is something you should tell the bishop about or the mm-hmm. vicar for clergy or whoever it is. But you know, raking over the private moral failings of a, a local parish priest, for example, I mean that's that's not generally speaking. <laughs> you know, something that there's a wider claim of public interest to. And yeah. to, to sort of just make that a, a sort of habitual topic of interest or publication, I think is purient. Yeah. Now, if I mean, we could, could, could we do that eight days a week? Yes. Um, uh, but, but again, where it becomes a matter a of public- a lot of money doing it. I don't know. Probably. Um, but where it becomes- <laughs> Probably. Matter- You'd make even more if you didn't actually bother to check if it was factual. And That's just true. Anyway. Just started blasting things out as soon as you heard them. So yeah. we're ta- are we talking about church militant? Uh, um, I mean, yes, what but is, also no. Okay. Yes, but off the record, the guy with the wig who keeps making videos about yeah, the wig guy, the wig guy that okay. 
Um, but if but um, where it becomes a matter of public interest, much more obviously and uh, and demonstrably, is if the bishop, if the diocesan bishop, is habitually negligent mm. or even gravely negligent mm-hmm. in 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 the administration of his own responsibilities with regard to, you know, uh, justice in his own diocese. So again, is, is it a matter of sort of public interest for us to uh, to be paying attention to the uh, the machinations of every pastor? No. Might it be? Might there be a value to sort of local? independent Catholic journalism? Maybe so. Um, it would actually be fascinating to see sort of like little, to see local iterations of that kind of work, which would be hard and important, I think. But um, uh, mm. but where we, where it becomes in, of, of interest to us, or where we regard there to be a matter of public interest so grave that it over, you know, that it overcomes sort of other things is if the bishop or, or the provincial or whoever is responsible for administering justice in that case is negligent, and especially if he's negligent for, you know, um, serially or, or in a particularly grave case yeah. or something like that. Hmm. But what we never want to do is just sort of, yeah, scandal for scandal's sake or, um, or, um, to sort of capitalize on the, on the prurient interest that people have on you know, sexy stuff or whatever. Absolutely. Which is strange because that accusation has been levied against you. Oh, I think sure. unjustly, but in the New York times, you know, nonetheless. Oh, I don't oh know yeah. New York Times, but some of I remember everybody getting public. mad at you for one, that one thing. Well, the New York Times were mad at us for a little while, yeah. Yeah, yeah everybody. Yeah, which is funny because they were, were they were they were using the same uh, journalistic tech, the same journalistic approach that we were using to identify people who they thought were political, were doing politically inappropriate things. Which I actually think is their, you know, I, I don't know if I, I I don't know if I think that their approach was just because they weren't they weren't giving people the opportunity to sort of speak before they were identifying them. Mm-hmm. So ar- arguably we were, we had a different ethical approach than them. But sure. in either case, uh, yeah, people were mad at us because we um, considered that sort of the inter- the public interest of the church is that if, if ser- senior and serious high level officials in the church are engaged in sort of chronically immoral sexual behavior, that might impact their judgment at work. And, um, and, and when we sort of tried to approach the church about that, we effectively got shut down. Yeah. Um, so that was a little tricky. How, so how does it make, like, do you guys ever get worried, you know, when the New York times is running hit pieces on you, you know, and like putting your faces up on the whole internet, do you guys get worried about what you're doing? Or is it like when those things happen, you're like, great free press, you know, like what is your kind of attitude about when those uh, kinds of things happen? Not, not those are the only two options. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, was say, I, saw, I really did paint you in a corner there. I apologize. Yeah, it's a little of column A, a little of column B. I yeah. suppose. Uh, yeah, I um, because the second one is dangerous. If you go chasing that free pub, that's true. Yeah, yeah uh, it's um, it's tasty. At least for me, it was uh, there. We did have a run of two or three weeks there where uh, everybody seemed to decide that we were subject to fascination and mm-hmm. um, to say mean things about us in public. Mm-hmm. I have to say that at no point when any of that was going on did I second guess yeah. what we'd done or why. Mm-hmm. I never had any doubts about. I mean, we we simply wouldn't have published it in the first place if yeah. if um, we hadn't thought it through and really taken it not just to sure. um, taking it to heart at it from a professional standpoint, but taking it to prayer and make sure that we you know we were doing things for the right reasons, we were doing things with the right motivations, and having made absolutely every effort up to and including flying to Rome to meet with people in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Um, to try and see things resolved before going to print. Um, you know, you, you do everything you can and your conscience is clear and then you press play when you have to. Uh, so no, I never had any, any, any doubts about that, but it was not a pleasant experience by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I would have, I would have happily, uh, gone without all of the free publicity in, in the New York times, the New York post, the Washington post time magazine, the Atlantic. I, yeah. I get I get I get anxiety when someone when a blue check like retweets my tweet and it's snarky <laughs> yeah, and I get like, oh, I, no. I can't imagine yeah you know I deleted I, my account because a bunch of women on Catholic Twitter got mad at me about a tweet about headphones you know I don't think oh, I could handle it if the Washington Post uh, uh, dunked on me you know I I think yeah I think knowing that we had discerned like according to the according to the principles of journalism according to i think christian moral principles and then you know in prayer that what we were doing was the right thing a big part of the reason why we started the pillar is because we um we see a lot in catholic media we see a lot of um of 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 institutional agenda which impacts sort of decision making we often see in, in catholic media that institutional agendas whether they're sort of political agendas church agendas business decisions, whatever, become influential in the way that, that the church is covered. And, and, and a big part of the reason we, we started the pillars is because we wanted to try not to do that, um, but to be, um, you know, not to, to, to be free of 
uh, a lot of the pressures of a lot of Catholic media institutions in order to just do the thing that we think is the right work. And, um, and so this for me was, um, when this story started evolving, which is not, we didn't anticipate evolving the way it did at all, but when it started evolving and we knew we had to cover it, we did, we consulted with journalists, we consulted, um, with, uh, with moral theologians, we, you know, and when we discerned it and we came to an agreement. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, we knew what we were doing was the thing that we had a, we had a plan and we knew that that plan was just including, yeah, going to Rome, talking with people, begging the USCCB to talk with us, lots of stuff. Um, and, uh, and, um, but still, um, you know, there was a ton of attention on that. That was all sort of like, these guys are, um, are the spawn of Satan. And, um, you know, and that's just not, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> they were being nice to me. They were not being nice. <laughs> no. Exactly. The, the really niceness, worried. it is important to be nice, to be kind, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> But I'll tell you something that happened. I was really worried. So I, I, my, I have a, I have two sisters, and one of them practices the faith, and one of them is not a Catholic. We weren't raised Catholic, so one of them is not a Catholic, and so she's not like keyed in on our, on the. She's very supportive of our being Catholic, but she's not keyed in on the minutia of our world in the mm-hmm. way that sure. we would be. And my 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 younger sister, who's Catholic, like works for a diocese, so she the she like lives in our universe, you know, and uh, and so um, I, when this happened, and like we were on, you know, we we're in all these papers and stuff, and. Um, uh, all this was happening, I kept wondering, like, what does my um, my other sister who doesn't practice the faith think mm-hmm. of this? Does she think that I'm like this, you know, um, muckraking, um, homophobic, immoral, unethical person who's just trying to make money by destroying people's lives? You know, like, is that... And uh, and I didn't hear from her for like a little while. So then I was thinking like, well, she definitely thinks that because I haven't heard from her for a little while, even though mm-hmm. we don't talk that much. Um, but then... Uh, but then uh, she texted me and uh, no, her husband texted me and said, uh, we saw you in the New York times. And I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, uh, they were like, congratulations. It sounds like you saw something that was corrupt and you, uh, and, and you, uh, and you um, dealt with it and you really made change and, you know, affected sort of corruption and power and congratulations. And that's awesome. Wow. And I was like super edified by that. It was a real consolation because wow. the people who I care about the most were the ones whose perception mm-hmm. I was concerned about. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true for you too, Ed, but I was mostly concerned about the perception of the people I actually care about. And so to like be affirmed by someone who doesn't, you know, who doesn't practice the faith or pay attention to these things, but just sort of saw, saw it in that way. Yeah. And, and as someone who I, I, you know, I'm close to my sister, it, it really meant a lot. So it's kind of a consolation, I think. Yeah. I, I, I certainly was mostly concerned about how the people closest to me would be, would, would react to all that. Unfortunately, I, I had the unpleasant experience of one ostensibly Catholic publication doxing several members of my family, including my wife, um, that's like the one which, thing that you don't like, Ed, is, is revealing private information. He's a very private person. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so that, um, how, how my, how name names, name names, <laughs> you know, unlike them, I'm classy. They, they name enough names. Um, but yeah, having that experience of having, you know, my wife's, you know, office direct line and email address and, Jeez. you know, charities that my parents were involved with. Um, all that stuff put out there by supposedly a Catholic publication while they were trying to chide me for being unethical mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, going into people's private lives, I thought was a little much. Uh, and that I think colored a lot of my, my own family's reaction to, mm-hmm. to the story and the coverage of it, because, you know, I, I was prepared to take on the chin, whatever people wanted to throw at us because, you know, I'd made the decision I'd made with JD, you know, from an ethical and professional and spiritual point of view and knew, you know, we were, put sticking our chins out for people to an extent, but you know, my family didn't ask for that. Yeah. And, um, I, I think it would be fair to say they wouldn't have asked for it. And they weren't yeah. wild about it when it came calling. Hmm. Yeah. The Just, lack of ethics is coming from inside the house kind of a thing. That's, that's <laughs> not, not a situation you want to be in. Um, we have about eight minutes left. I don't want to take you guys more than an hour. Patrick, do we have a, a dating corner question? Uh, I did not prepare one. I Can you quickly um, find one while I tell them what it is. Yeah, crazy I mean, kids, we haven't dated in 20 years. That's why this is going to be such juicy, sweet content for all of the <laughs> What's listeners. happening right now? I was fully expecting and anticipating not doing this, but all right, guys, we're going, we're going to, you have to something, Doctor. We, we love to play a game. So, so we love to play this games. is kind of like what we do. We don't do a game per se. So uh, the game, the game we're going to play, gentlemen, is we're <laughs> going to be playing uh, Catholic news publication, yes or no. Um, I'm just kidding. That would. <laughs> That would be that would be so easy for me because be I don't read fun. any of them. Yeah. The <laughs> no, no, no. This is a game that we're called. Did this Catholic news uh, publication dox your family? Yes or no? Is the is the <laughs> game we're going to run through? 
I know it hurts. I'm sorry. This is not your point. I, 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 I... Alright, you came to the right place, you ding dong. It's called communication, baby. <laughs> Okay, so uh, this, oh, well, this is this is too late because they're set to be buried on March 19th. That's all right. Happy Feast of St. Joseph. Um, anyway, so this, can this you question. Can you do the segment, Patrick? Yeah, so this is the, welcome to, uh, welcome to uh, Dr. Ethan's Dating Corner, sponsored formerly by the other CM, uh, Catholic Match. We used to be sponsored by Catholic Match. Not anymore. Uh, not anymore. Sad, yeah. But um, we we answer our our listeners send in questions about their relationship, and we Doctor Ethan, who has a PhD in dating, um, dated a lot. Answers. <laughs> it's I not even a lot true. Of things. It's not true. You watched people date anyway. Um, <laughs> like, do they know? With it, I mean, do they know you were watching, or was this? Kind of it's. I think they've gleaned over the over the years that we've done this that I really You're like. Oh, have yeah, very little just... practical advice, uh, and yet the segment lives on. So the segment lives. Um, changing family dynamics. Uh, this comes from Nick. Changing family dynamics amidst engagement. Uh, okay. Cool. Hi, my name. I'm I'm 24, male, engaged to a wonderfully unholy woman, 23, female. We're set to be married on March 19th, so everything is really hurtling towards the finish line. Mm. As we've gotten closer and closer to the date, uh, we've seen a lot of strains come out in our family. We're both the first of our respective siblings to get married. Mm. We're moving three hours away from our families. Uh, we're also having the wedding in my home parish in New Jersey. A Garden State, let's represent. You're from New uh, so, Jersey? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm not from New this Jersey. This guy is. No, sorry. On the, on the, on the you are. Oh, you sorry, are from New Jersey. Jersey. <laughs> you're from New Jersey? <laughs> just don't know for a minute there, No one's ever from New Jersey. They always lie and say they're from New York. My 401k or whatever old people think about it. I don't know. <laughs> hey, man, I'm walking here on Long Island. <laughs> New Jersey. Hey. Walking on the turnpike. Poughkeepsie. All right. We're also having the wedding at my home parish in New Jersey. Um. Having said that, I recognize, oh wait, uh, her parents have taken, my mother has planned a lot of the wedding mm. and her parents have taken a large step back. Uh, having said that, I recognize that as a parent, that can be a lot to deal with, planning a wedding, presumably. Not to mention everything else going on in our parents' lives. Um, however, there are some things that have happened where I think our parents have really crossed the line. Not to blame them for every problem we've encountered. There's right. been plenty that my fiance and I have had to rightfully apologize for in this process. But there have been a few instances where I feel some trust was strained between us and our parents. Uh, and for as much as my fiance and I love each other, it's definitely been a heavy burden in our relationship these past few months. Um, having said all of this, as two men who have successfully navigated engagement, as four, four men, there you go. Four. Wow. Look advice. at this. You double advice. That means it costs twice as much. Yes. Um, two, four men who have successfully navigated engagement in the early parts of married life and the later parts of married life. Uh, <laughs> do you have <laughs> the much, much later parts of married two life? Two men who are in the twilight years. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any advice for a young couple who love each other very much, who love their families very much, and who just want to do the right thing for their families? Uh, yeah. Nice. And he says, thanks good. for the show. Yeah. Thank so, you. how do you, how do you, how, how do you handle the in-laws, yeah. fellas? So the the horse I gather has has already bolted for this particular. Yeah, but it was already. I mean, yeah. But, so if you your know. advice is like run, don't walk. I mean, maybe just <laughs> no, I, yeah. no. I mean, what I would say is, um, I, I think it's pretty normal for there to be sort of tensions with everyone's parents around the preparations for a wedding. I, I've only prepared for one wedding in my life, <clears> and <throat> what my first wife and I did was. We just decided we were going to do it all ourselves. We did everything. Uh, neither neither her parents nor my parents had any r real role in planning the wedding, planning the reception. We did it ourselves, and we we kind of made. And there were, you know, at, at certain points, her mom and 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 my mom, uh, at different points, were kind of like, you know, I, I always thought I'd be a little bit more involved. We, my wife and I, are both oldest siblings, so we were also the first um, in our family to get married. And we said, you know, that we get that, but you know, this is this whole thing is about her and I becoming our own family, mm -hmm. learning to act as a partnership. You know, doing things not cut off from our, the families that we come from, yeah. but distinct from them. And part of that, we thought, part of preparing for that, we thought could be, well, we're just going to do this. And uh, the moment of clarity we actually had on it was. I, at a certain point uh, into our engagement, I think it was somewhere between five and 10 minutes into our engagement, uh, started suggesting that we should just elope. 
because <laughs> this whole thing was, you know, yeah. this was going to be a whole faff and no one needed it. And, and what actually talking it through, we realized, you know, okay, the, the, the wedding, the sacrament in, in church is, is, is an important thing, you know, absolutely. But, you know, everything that sort of goes around that in terms of, you know, the flowers, the reception, all the, it's not really for us. That's for everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to go on a honeymoon after this. And that's, that's our time. This yeah. is, you know, this is for our families. This is, you know, and many for our families and friends and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And once we understood that that's really what we thought of it as being for, then turning around and saying, no, no, no this is a party that we're throwing for our families. Um, and we're taking care of it. Mm-hmm. We're not asking you for to do anything. We're not asking you for anything about this. It'll be the party we can throw between us. And and that's what God has, you know, provided for. And it, we had a great time. Everyone seemed to have a great time. JD, any thoughts? I that was very that was really nice, Ed. I really liked that. Um I in listening to the description of the thing from um uh the guy, um, <laughs> um, I didn't hear what the, I kept waiting for the problem to happen to be, yeah. like, you know. And then my father-in-law like, said I was no. a disappointment and ran over me with his car, or something like that. Because, sorry, Ed, you want to say something? I was going to say this is they're young, they're, they're the they're Gen Zers, JD. They well, don't that's they don't really have problems. They just have emotions. Admittedly, so yes. this dating corner was a lot less uh, uh, extreme than some other some other dating corners have been. Well, but I mean, it was like, longer, because, so I thought it was going to be hardcore. I think but. what they were experiencing was like there's some tension between us, our parents, and our in-laws about how to do stuff, and that's just true. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think you have to find Sucks. figure out over time, you know, in, in the immediate, but also over time, like what um, what is the what is the properly ordered relationship. With uh, with our parents, what does it mean to honor our parents as married people and as a family? You know, I mean, uh, honor your father and mother doesn't go away because you are uh, married to somebody. In fact, it doubles because now you got to honor her parents. Um, you know, so I think like kind of just discerning and thinking practically about like what does it mean? How do we make decisions in light of that obligation? How do we make decisions in light of like the uh, our our um, our own you know kind of the needs of our family, our mental health needs, even um, relative to our parents. Those kinds of things, everybody has to work through that and it can feel, I think what I was reminded of is just the way in which when you're first married and maybe you guys have experienced this, everything can feel really intense. Like, yeah, just like, it's just like this matter, this matters, damn it. And I now want your father to pick out the flowers or what? I don't yeah. remember exactly. The thing. I got married in August well, of last year. So this is all very, very fresh and real to me. And like, you know, in early marriage too. And, and then when you have a kid, it's like, oh, at first it's like every little thing with the kid is like of, of profound significance. And so it can become a source of tension. This feeding was two minutes shorter than the last one. Is he yeah, going to, he's, he's never going to get into student. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. Um, but, <laughs> Everyone gets into, I'm just kidding. <laughs> into Thomas Aquinas college or whatever. Um, and, uh, and so um, I, I think just like it can be hard and maybe it sounds Trite, but just like learning how to take a beat and take a breath and recognize that most of the things that seem really, really important, especially in those early times when you're just getting used to everything, like just being merciful uh, on yourself. My wife and I talk a lot about just being, gr- being sort of gracious to the other person. And by that meaning, like just being merciful on yourself and on your spouse about like, um, okay, we have these emotions and we have to acknowledge them, but then we can take a beat and probably just like, you know, go to Popeye's or make out or something, and then this stuff will be contextualized. And the, the two best you know, ways not, to resolve not in that order, right. not in that order, I think absolutely well, in, I mean, that order. in that order. You got to brush your teeth. You are, it's like, you are then wrong. You get the regular, and she gets the spicy, and you're like, man, I'm I wish not, I would have got the spicy. I'm not this conversation on. The- <laughs> I wish I would have got the spicy, and then boom. I don't want to know what Cajun sauce tastes like after post facto. You know, I don't. Wanna- well, and see, that is something that's a serious thing to talk about in your marriage, and a serious real issue, and it helps to put in in. That, in Yes. context these real you know these less significant things like you know if your father-in-law wants you to right. pick out the flowers That's or not ridiculous so i think just like yeah being able to give yourself permission to take a break and say does this matter or not matter I love is, that. is important well thank you guys uh i think i think this is it we don't want to take up more time than we've already taken i think yeah, we're, 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 we're a little bit you guys got trials to watch you guys have trials is like a kid in a candy store um i just i'm a man of simple pleasures yes well, thank you very much for having us. This seems like a great show. I really yeah. I would wow, like to thank endorse you. this show. We like to think, oh, it's endorsed. Uh, thank you. Well, uh, thank you both just for everything that you guys have done. Obviously, I 
you can tell that we both are, are listeners and uh, readers of all of your work. And I read every Tuesday post. I read every Friday post. I read as many of the posts in between as I can uh, and listen wow, to your podcast every week. And just, I think it's one of the best things going on right now. So really, I found out how to get it on, get it on my Kindle. Patrick's very and so proud I, of himself. For I am very proud. I sit, I sit at the kitchen table like an old man he and I drink my coffee and I read the paper. Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. the <laughs> That's really cool. And thank you guys a lot. That really means a lot. And this was a lot of fun. So thanks for having us. Yes. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Ed, do you want to say anything? Yeah, I just thank you guys. I, I, you know, I've, I have, unlike JD, I have listened to your podcast before and, I, <laughs> um, you know, I'm strongly in favor. I think you guys do great work and, you know, it's really been nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate nice you as well. Patrick, you got anything else for the people? Uh, PillarCatholic.com. Slash subscribe. <laughs> and Crunch podcast.internet the crunch the crunchcast.com <laughs> patreon.com slash the crunch yes. you should pay for my uh please help uh jd ed and i raise our children alone obviously not together but right you know, help us raise our with our respective spouses not entirely alone Indeed. And, oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. thank you all for listening please pray for us we'll be praying for you and we'll see you all next week Bye-bye. thank you ed for removing my foot from my mouth uh, <laughs> <Good job. laughs>